Ezekiel 37, verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked and beheld there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves, and I will raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord." When I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land, then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. This may be the most well-known chapter in Ezekiel's prophecy. Chapter 47 is good, too. There's, there's a ton of great learning, application, and prophecy yet to be fulfilled that you're going to find in the book of Ezekiel. But this to me is a prophetic word of vision, an encounter that he has that has such incredible application to your life and mine because there are parallels between Israel that was in captivity at this time and where we're living now in the 21st century. And so when we are talking through the history of this, don't get bogged down in it. This is really more of a prophetic word to us right now using the text that Ezekiel wrote in chapter number 37. And so some teaching tonight, some exhortation, and then also some prophetic nuance where I believe that the Lord will start drowning out my voice and he will start speaking to you directly in your spirit. My hope is that many of you, if not all of you, We'll have my voice replaced, and you'll start hearing God speaking directly to your spirit tonight. And so let's get into the text and trust him with his word. First of all, as we're talking about him encountering us, and we're talking about in some of these encounters, the impossible gets accomplished. I want to just go ahead and note the context of this chapter. What is it? God's going to ordain some uncomfortable places in your life. We need to go ahead and be grown-ups about this. 
We need to go ahead and put away the, the, the syrupy, sugary, false notion that God is a perpetual head patter who hands you flowers and roses and sunshine and puppies all the time. We need to recognize that the Bible doesn't support that kind of idea. Nor is God the grimace and out to get you. He's not the celestial Grinch. But in, in the midst of him being good and good to you, by the way, he's going to ordain some uncomfortable places in your life. And so let's look at what that looks like. Look how God was leading Israel. Excuse me, Ezekiel. Look in the very first uh, uh, part of the first verse. This is what Ezekiel writes. He, he notes a couple of things. First of all, the hand of the Lord is upon me. And then he notes this. And God was bringing him out in the spirit of the Lord. I, this is crucial. Everything that's about to follow in this impossible situation that we're going to highlight, it is imperative that we remember that it wasn't the devil sending Ezekiel into an impossible situation. It wasn't Ezekiel's flesh or failure that got Ezekiel into this impossible situation. Nor could Ezekiel blame it on any other human being for him being in this impossible situation. The sovereign God of heaven had his hand on Ezekiel and the spirit of the Lord was moving inside of Ezekiel and everything that is about to follow which is not going to be a pretty picture, is because God wanted to take Ezekiel into, the, uh, into a context of impossibility, hopelessness, and literally overwhelming possibilities that he could ever do anything about it, and it was all the Lord doing it. Why do I even bother saying that? Because a lot of us have been groomed in cultures in the kingdom where if anything negative happens, we give the devil the glory for it. We always blame the devil, or we blame other people, or if you've got kind of a little bit of a, an orphan spirit going on, you assume you've done something wrong and God's punishing you. Now you're in this terrible situation because you've done something. Have we ever left room in our thinking, in our theology, in our walk with Jesus to recognize sometimes God wants you to be so much like his son that he puts you in your own garden of Gethsemane so you can fellowship with Jesus in that moment? And so when we're thinking about that, let's just remember everything that's about to, about to happen. God's got his hand on Ezekiel, and the Spirit is moving within Ezekiel. So go down to the end of verse number one. Where was God going to take Ezekiel? Let's pretend like we haven't read it. The hand of the Lord takes Ezekiel and sets him down in the middle of the valley. Now, valley's bad enough, but it gets worse for Zeke. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. So Ezekiel has got the sovereign God of heaven as his personal tour guide. God puts his omnipotent hand on Ezekiel. The spirit is moving within Ezekiel, and God says, I'm going to take you somewhere. And he takes him into a barren, dry, desert valley. No water, no greenery. No life, nothing lush. And there as Ezekiel is led around, the, the, the Hebrew indicates that he's being literally taken around. It's not just a snapshot from an overlook, but God's got him in the valley and he's walking him among the multitudes of bones piled upon bones. And we're going to find out later that this is symbolic. This is indicative of Israel. And the bones have been there a long time. The marrow is dried out. They are dry and brittle bones. It's not simply a scene of death. It's a scene of long-standing death and hopelessness. And God took them there. Now, I, I don't know how you feel about that. I learned a long time ago I don't have to defend God. 
I, I, I meet people all the time that have gone through stuff in life and they're bitter and they're upset and, they're, and when we get down to the core of it, they're actually mad at God and they expect me when they make accusations about how, how, how God allowed something overwhelming to happen in their life, they, they expect me to defend God and usually I just say, you know what? If you keep pressing into him, you're going to come to a place of peace about who he is and what, is he, what he has allowed. And if you're still curious about it, when you actually enter the fullness of his presence after your death, you can ask him and he'll explain it to you, but chances are you're not going to care in that moment anymore because you're going to be overwhelmed with the amazing goodness of him. Listen, friends, God didn't even spare his son Jesus Christ from pain and trouble and agony and sorrow. And it is false doctrine that teaches us that we're going to get a, a carte blanche free pass all through our life. Sometimes you're going to go in the valley. And sometimes it's going to be because he wants to teach you something there. He wants to lead you into that thing. And sometimes when you get there, you find out, man, this thing is deeper than I thought. It's darker than I thought it was going to be. I don't see anything in the valley except symbolism of doom and gloom. God, why did you bring me here? Well, we're not to the end of the passage yet because Ezekiel is going to find out exactly why. Verse 3, why was God leading Ezekiel? Here it is. Here it is. God said to Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? What was his reply? I answered, O sovereign Lord, you know. Oh, Lord God, you know. Ezekiel's wise. Let me tell you what's going on here. God puts his hand on Ezekiel, takes him into an impossible situation, and he asks him one question. And I'm going to paraphrase the question. I'm going to unpack it a little bit. Hey, Ezekiel, you see all of this? Do you think I can do something about this? Do you think I can take this impossibility do you think I can take death and make it into life? And I love what Ezekiel said. He didn't fake it. He certainly didn't say, no way, not going to happen. Nope. He didn't express doubt, but nor did he fake faith. His senses are being assaulted. He feels the heat and the dryness of the air. He's visually seeing that everything's dead, nothing's alive. He's looking around, and it's bone after bone after bone, heaps and piles of bones. Every time he's walking through them, he's hearing them crunch beneath his feet. So his senses, what the data that he's receiving, says it's never going to get better. The data that he's receiving says it's an impossible situation. Everything that's coming in through the senses, the gate of his eyes, the gate of his nose, the gate of his ears, the gate of his touch, everything around him is screaming, it's death, and death stays dead. And God says, do you think I can bring life out of this? And I love his answer. His answer is awesome because it's both humble and yet expectant. He says this, in essence, when he says, oh, Lord God, thou knowest, he's saying this. He's saying, uh, if it's going to happen, it's going to be because you do it. It's going to be because you do something that nobody else can do. And so... When, when we're walking through this, I want you to go to that place in your life. I'm just convinced that everybody in here has a little valley of dry bones somewhere on their resume. A little season, it might be right now. A place where all you see is the in flashing red neon letters, no, 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 no. 
You, you get, you fast and you pray and you're, you're pressing in for breakthrough and, and, and just everything that, have you ever done that where you're pressing in and you're fasting and praying over a certain thing in your life and as you're expressing your dependence upon God, there's this hiss in your ear that says, no, not going to happen. Give up, quit, back off. That's warfare. God takes us into the impossible valley because the, here's the reason why. He wants to teach us how glorious, how grand, and how great that he is. He literally is asking Ezekiel one question. Do you believe in me for this? He's being stretched. I got a word over a friend Friday night. It was a little bit awkward. I don't know if she's in here, but the Lord gave me, we were in a Friday night worship set. Lord gave me a word for this uh, lady, and, and, and this was the word. Tell her she's at her best when she's stretched. It's kind of vague, but I've learned to be obedient. And so I gave that word, and then I thought to myself, Lord, in the kingdom, I think we all are. I think we're at our best when we are being stretched by God, because when you're not stretched, the things that are in you can't come out. When he stretches us, our pores open, our spiritual pores open, and what's in us begins to come out. Ezekiel was being greatly stretched there. So he intentionally leads Ezekiel to a dry place that was clearly characterized by defeat, offering little hope, but he was trying to increase Ezekiel's level of faith. Let's think about this, and then I'm going to move on into verses 4 through 8. We pray some pretty bold prayers, and we forget them. God never forgets them. We pray bold things in moments of, of we sing bold things, we pray bold things, we preach bold things, we witness to other people with boldness and confidence, and oftentimes the Lord loves us, and he says, yeah, I, I didn't forget that prayer where you were weeping in sincerity and crying out to me about how much more you wanted to be like my son Jesus. My child, I didn't forget that. But if you're going to be like my son Jesus, you're going to need to experience what he experienced. And if we study clearly the life of Jesus Christ in the Gospels, my friends, um, this is the grand understatement of the year, his life wasn't easy. We want to be like him we want the, the power of his resurrection, and we politely ask Paul, can you take out that part about the fellowship of his sufferings? And we want the, crowd, uh, we want the, the, um, the victory, we want the resurrection, but we don't necessarily want the cross. And what God is doing, I think, right now in part of the de destruction of the spirit of religion, he's coming against a bunch of fables that we have stamped the cross on. And so this is going to be a season in all of our lives where he's going to undo some bad theology, undo some bad presumption that we've got in our life about how he operates, and he's going to give us a crystal clear invitation to press into Christ-likeness, but he's going to tell us the cost. The question will be in the midst of the valleys that are part of that process, do you believe him for these things? Can you trust him? Go down into verse number four, and let's talk about how God initiates some unusual processes. Uh, in a minute, I'm going to give you something to laugh about, because right now it's pretty intense, but just bear with me for a moment. 
Um, when, when God wants to do this deepening faith work, when God wants to show us that he is indeed the Lord over the impossible, he often initiates an unusual practice or a process to get that done. So look at what he does to Ezekiel here. First of all, there's some illogical instructions for him. In verse number four, God says to Ezekiel, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now, I, you got to do something. You got to discipline your mind to remember this actually happened. This is actually a real man made of the same stuff that all other human beings are made out of who's hearing from God in a supernatural encounter where God is assaulting his, his senses and taking him into a place of deep discomfort, and then God gives him an assignment that makes no sense whatsoever. He says, Ezekiel, I want you to start prophesying over the bones. I want you to start speaking over the bones. Now, every preacher in here has, has been in front of a dead congregation before, at least once or twice, but nothing like this. There have been times where I have preached and preached and preached, and I go away saying, man, that was dead as a hammer. But I'm going to tell you, Ezekiel wasn't using death as a metaphor. God is asking him to do something completely illogical, to, to speak to death. What's he supposed to speak? He's supposed to speak this. First of all, death, listen to the authoritative voice of the Lord. That's the first command that he's given. He's not even given what to say yet. But his first command from God is, I want you, Ezekiel, to start prophesying over the bones. Now, listen to me for a minute. Um, Lord, help me. How do I want to say this? Thank you. Thank you. So sometimes um, the work of the Lord looks weird to the natural eye. Sometimes the movement of the Spirit of the Lord is strange, illogical, to the natural eye. I want you to think with me. If, if Jesus Christ had his ministry in 21st century social media culture and the things that he did, let me tell you what the highlight reel would be. He spit on somebody's eyes put that on youtube he, he flipped over tables in the temple and chased people out with a whip put that on youtube the lord did some things that if he lived in our generation this generation's natural eye would look at it i'm gonna i'm gonna guarantee you something religious spirited people would say i don't know who that is but i can't follow him they would reject jesus because they misinterpret the depth of what he's doing because they're seeing it on the on the superficial level some of us aren't comfortable with god doing things that we would consider weird and it's real easy to say well that's not god that's people let me just give you a few, okay? Let me just give you a few biblical, illogical callings that God actually did. There's precedent for God acting, in our opinion, in our mind, strangely. What about Gideon? Gideon, I want you to take 300 men. You had more, but there was too many. And I want to whittle them down. i tell you what I want you to do. I want you to take these 300 men. I'm going to arm you to the hilt with a torch and a jar. And I want them to go over the hill. And I want them to conquer 135,000 Midianite soldiers. Go after it, Gideon. Uh, most of us that are reasonable and rational, we would have said to Gideon, that's your plan. Could you imagine being one of the 300 and Gideon comes back and says, I've heard from the Lord. This is what we're going to do. 
Most of us would have said no. Well, it gets, it gets stranger. I'm, I'm building to the stranger section. What about Joshua? Joshua. Joshua, I'm your God, and what I want you to do is I want you to take all of the people, and I want you to march around Jericho. I want you to do it for seven days on the seventh day. At the seventh time, I want you to do something. Just march. By the way, Joshua, don't say a word. It has to be an absolute silence. And then just march around it. And then on that seventh time, Joshua, I want you to blow the trumpet. I want you to scream. And these massively thick and tall walls are just going to fall down. Go for it, Joshua. I'm about to deliver Jericho into your hands. Uh, again, most of us would say, no, I, that's just not sound counsel right there. I, I, Joshua, thank you, but no thank you. I don't think you've heard from the Lord at all. I think you're a nut. That's what a lot of us do. If our leaders came to us and said this stuff, we would rationalize ourselves right out of victory. Now, here's where it gets weird. This is in your Bible, and I'm even going to give you the text because some of you won't believe it's in your Bible. Jeremiah. Jeremiah, go buy a new pair of underwear. Wear them for a while. Then, Jeremiah, I want you to take them off, and I want you to bury them near the rocks by the river, and I want you to let them sit there for a very long time, Jeremiah, and then I'm going to tell you to go get them. But, Jeremiah, when you go and get them, you're going to pull them out. You're going to know that you can't wear them again, but when you obey me by doing this, I'm going to give you a sermon about the underwear, Jeremiah chapter 13. You think I'm making it up? I'm not. God did that. But, Jeremiah, he had it easier than Isaiah. You know what Isaiah had to do, right? Isaiah, walk around naked and barefoot for three years. Isaiah, it's a prophetic act regarding some international warfare that is going to be coming through Assyria. Isaiah, you're my prophet. Go do this. Now listen, we can chuckle at that stuff, but I, wanna, I want you to know it's holy ground because it's actually what God did. So when God is telling Ezekiel, prophesy over dead bones, it's not as if God doesn't have precedent for calling people to do things that make sense only to him and only make sense to us after the fact. Prophesying on dead bones doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And sometimes in your impossible situation, when God has finally and maybe even fully humbled you, He's going to give you a word that nobody else around you will be able to say, amen, that sounds great, but it's his word from uh, his heart to your ears. And this, again, is a test of our faith. Why does he take us into the valley? He's, he's deepening our trust. He's strengthening our faith. And, and listen, you're not always going to have 50 people encouraging you on, but the question is, Ezekiel didn't have anybody around him. Would he prophesy over the bones? Go down in verse 5 and 6. God's going to give him the necessary provision. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Here's the prophetic word. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you will live. And I will lay sinews upon you and, you, and, and will cause flesh to come upon you. And I will cover you with skin. And breath, I will put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Now, this is one of the rare occasions when God gives an impossible um, process to one of his servants but he begins to tell him exactly how it's going to work ezekiel you start prophesying i'm going to tell you what's going to happen the bones are going to come together and i want you to tell the bones that as they come together there's going to be uh skin that's going to come upon them muscles going to come upon them sinews going to come upon them ezekiel i want you to tell the bones that this is what i'm going to do to them now friends listen i don't know if you're getting this or not tonight but this is a test of faith 
The last thing we want to deal with when we're in an impossible situation in a valley and it looks like there's no hope whatsoever is the last thing we want to do is to be stretched into obeying God into something that makes zero sense to us, but sometimes that's the answer. The whole context of my journey with Jesus Christ has been facing impossible calling after impossible calling. Not all of them were miraculous, but all of them had such great odds stacked against them. And I would love to be able to tell you that every time I stood up and said, Yes, Jesus, we shall overcome. But it didn't work that way all the time. There were times where I knew what God wanted me to do. But the paralysis of analysis kept me in. I thought, if I do this, this will happen, this will happen. But if this doesn't happen, if I'm going to commit to this, I'll need this and this. If she's going to be on my side, if he's going to be on my side, who's going to be against me? And you start whirling through it. And all of a sudden, what was crystal clear at the beginning of your journey in the valley somehow becomes muddled. And this is what I learned. You don't get out until you obey. We want a free pass out. Okay, God, you gave me the tour. I see the bones, all of that, but I ain't prophesying to no dead bones. Just take me on back to where I was before. Pluck me down by the, the banks of the river Kedar, and I'll just do my thing over there. I've got plenty of kingdom work to do. And sometimes the Lord says, no, because I'm actually trying to stretch you in your faith now so you'll have it when I call you to your next assignment here. And so that's what Ezekiel was going, what was going on in his life. And so he gets this, detailed promise about what God was going to do. God's, in essence, he's saying, Ezekiel, everything I'm calling you to do, I'm going to back it up with the provision that is needed. Now, sometimes the, for Ezekiel, the provision was sinews and skin and flesh and all of that, and the breath, of course. Um, doesn't always work that way with us. Sometimes when we're in the valley, is a place where God is touching the reality that we doubt him so deeply about whether or not he's going to come through. You get in the valley because he is, is so paternal. He's so, such a good father that he wants to take you in the valley because he knows there's a place in your heart where you doubt his goodness. That, and listen, it's not accusatory. It's not, he's, it's not that. He's not an abusive father. He takes us into that place to where we have to face the reality that we doubt him. That we don't have anywhere to run, anywhere to hide. And so as he begins to bring us into that place of impossibility, he literally calls us to engage with him. And it's there where we start saying, man, I really have a faith problem. I really have a trust problem. I, I, I really thought I trusted him at this level. But now that he's taken me into something impossible, my trust evaluation has gone from here down to here. And he's not brutal with it. He's not doing it to demean us. He's literally bringing us to look in the mirror about where we actually are with him versus where we think we have been with him. Y'all with me? Listen, um, a, test, a, a faith that can't be tested should not be trusted. If he can't test it, we shouldn't trust it. And it is the testing of our faith, the stretching of our soul. It is the valley of impossibility that he takes us in. I love it that he doesn't send us into it. He takes us into it. He's there with us. And he says, I'm going to show you where you are with me. Now, Ezekiel, by the way, passes with flying colors. Matter of fact, look in verse 8, verse 7 8. Here's the trusting response from the servant. God told him to prophesy on the bones. Ezekiel didn't hesitate. So I prophesied as I was commanded. 
and watch this, as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a shaking, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, flesh had come upon them, skin had covered them. And then he adds this, and we'll get to it in a moment. But no breath was in them. So look, watch this. This is so important. We even saw it in this morning's message about Moses and the burning bush. When Moses turned aside to see what was going on with the burning bush, that is when he began to hear the voice of the Lord. With Ezekiel, it is as he obeyed to prophesy that he began to see the reality of what God could do. Friends, hear me on this. You never graduate from obedience. No matter what God is doing, no matter what we've seen in the supernatural, no matter what we've experienced, the ecstatic heights and depths of Holy Spirit work, there's never anywhere in the plan of God in your life or mine where he allows us to kind of wink at our disobedience. And I've learned this. I've learned two things I believe are essential for every single one of us living the lives of overcomers that he's called us to. We have to obey him. It's not an option. We can't sing and preach and talk about the lordship of Jesus and then excuse disobedience in our lives. I'm not a legalist. I'm a son. And so as a son, when I see my awesome papa, I want to obey him because what he's calling me to obey is good for me. He's not ruining my day. He's not busting my groove. He's not quenching my fun. He calls us to obey because it is through our obedience that his power is unleashed. It's not a barter system. He doesn't bless us because we obey. He blesses through our obedience. And so when we're talking about this, the second thing, by the way, is endurance. That means you obey. And when things don't change, you obey. And when things still don't change, you endure and obey. And when they don't change the next day, you endure and you obey. And I'm learning this, and it's not, it's not, it's not, um, it's not neon. It's not, it's not, wow, cool, man, obedience and endurance. It's, it is the brass tacks of discipleship. It is he is Lord and he is wise. And when he calls me into something, it is for my good. So I obey, not for pragmatic reasons, not so things will get better, but I obey because I honor him in my obedience. Friends, I just believe that this is, this, we've got to, We've got to come to grips with this. There needs to be a revival, a renaissance of, of, of devoted obedience, not slavish obedience, devoted obedience. We've got to get back in touch with that. The enemy goes after you in little bits. He's like a little piranha. A piranha doesn't swallow you whole. He takes you by bite after bite after bite. And that's the way the enemy operates. He comes to young men who've got the power of God in their lives, who sense the presence of God in their lives, who have visions and dreams and callings and and, and just such a strong passion for the kingdom. And the enemy hates that. You're a terrorist to the enemy's plans when you have zeal and consecration to the Lord. So what does the enemy do? He comes in like a piranha and he says, let's just take some nips out of them via disobedience. And we squander. We're like Samson, man. Samson, good night, unfulfilled. We're preaching on him on Wednesday nights. Unfulfilled potential, this awesome potential. What did he do? He squandered it away girl after girl. Self-will moment after self-will moment. Ezekiel obeys, and as he prophesies, the valley begins to change. As he obeys, everything in the valley starts to shift. Don't underestimate how much of a premium God places upon our obedience. And friends, listen, your pastoral leadership team here, those that serve with us in leadership, we're not legalists, 
We're not, we're not trying to catch you in anything. Matter of fact, I don't want to know your sin. Love covers a multitude of sins, and I just pray that God's love for you continues to cover your areas, my areas, wherever we might struggle. But I will say this. We're going to call each other to obedience. We call one another to obedience. We call each other into accountability when it needs to. And, and, and we're going to do the same thing with this flock. Why? Because what we're asking the Lord to do, what we're believing Him for, we're asking Him to literally unleash His assignment through this mission space, and He's not going to do do it through compromised vessels so we're serious about this so if you're fasting and praying during this 40-day fast go hard after your own heart go hard after your own heart don't make that a side dish make that an entree so he prophesied as he was commanded and as he prophesied things began to shake last chunk of verses so he initiates these unusual processes he ordains some uncomfortable places in your life but he also ordains some transformational encounters. And man, we need these. Now, I'm going to say it again before I read the verses. We need encounter. We, we need encounter. We, we need the breath of God. We need the presence of God. Not so we can have a, a tingle run up our spine, but so we can be made into the likeness of Christ. So we can be overcomers, not just simply what we sing about, what we talk about, what we theorize about, but actually who we are. And so look with me in verse number nine. Here's the primary essential of encounter. It's already there. I've already kind of hinted at it. But then he says to me, remember, the, the, the bones are now bodies, but they're still dead. So he says, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man. Say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. Now, some of you, I, I preach out of the English Standard Version. That's what you see up on the screen. That's what you hear me uh, recite here. Um, some of your other translations may use various translations of the word ruach. It is a Hebrew word that invariably means breath, spirit, or wind. And so the ESV translators focused in on the wind and the breath there. But ultimately what we're talking about is an interchangeable word. And without a doubt, at the very least, it represents the spirit, the life-giving wind and the life-giving breath of God. The very first man ever made was nothing but a dirt bag, so to speak. He was there, Adam formed out of the dirt. He's a sack of dirt until God put wind in him, put breath in him, put spirit in him. These bones were the same, and so the calling of God on Ezekiel was this. I want you to prophesy to the wind, to the breath, and that will enter into this army. Why do I call this the primary central of the counter? Listen, friends, what we need, and I'm not going to get hung up on Trinitarian hangers here, but what we need is we need an increase of the Holy Spirit's ownership and manifestation in each of our lives. Not just on Sundays. I love it on Sundays. There's just something awesome about collective worship when we come together and, and people are getting hit. I love that, man. That may make you uncomfortable, man. I'm just like, I love seeing people just experiencing God, even though maybe I'm not in on the moment. Maybe I don't manifest like they manifest. I don't care. I used to kind of be the rule keeper, the, the scorekeeper. It's like, uh, that looked 30% fake, that right there. I've never seen that before. I believe they do that in India, but they don't do it here in the Bible Belt. And so eventually I just realized I'm over here trying to figure out and control 
control what's going on in my heart, trying to control it, and I'm actually quenching the very spirit that they're experiencing. So I just gave up on that. I call it turning in your badge as the sheriff of Christian town. Like, yeah, I don't patrol those streets no more. There's plenty of others that will. My point being is this. We need the Holy Spirit. We're commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're commanded to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. When we're in the valley of the impossible, I, I tell you what you need more than your exit ramp out of the valley, you need the Holy Spirit. You need him to come in and be the comforter within you, the comforter to you, the comforter through you. You need the spirit of wisdom and revelation. You need the spirit that will reveal to you in the midst of impossible situation all of the glories of the kingdom that are yours right now, your internal inheritance and your eventual external inheritance. We need the Holy Spirit. And, and friends, I'm going to tell you, when you need him the most is when you feel him the least. It's, it's when you sense his absence, you're not sensing him, and it brings you to that desperation place. Ezekiel is being called to partner with God to raise the dead. God says, prophesy, they need spirit. I, I love this, by the way, because we one of the pillars of Newbridge Church is that we are... Um, people of the word and people of the spirit we don't apologize for using the bible and we don't apologize for making room for the holy spirit to come and be sovereign spirit of god in our midst we we don't have to pick around here our services go longer than others but that's okay we want whatever god wants and so in this you've got the prophetic word and you've got the wind beginning to move i would say that an encounter with god is is only vindicated or validated if what is put together on the outside is empowered by the Holy Spirit on the inside. And so the bodies were put together, but that's not what God was going for. He wasn't going for a show, he was going for a miracle. And so it required the Spirit on the inside, and so he enlisted his servant to prophesy. Verse 10, here's the climactic moment of the encounter. Here it is again. Look at his obedience. He's the man of God, by the way. The man of God, the great man of God of Israel. And he's an obedient servant. He says, I prophesied as he commanded me. Breath came into them and boom, they lived. And they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Now friends, this was a vision. It was the valley of vision. But in the vision, as, as Ezekiel is in being encountered by God and obeying God and hearing God, and his senses are being assaulted by all that is wrong, but God speaks through the impossibility, gets to the place where uh, obedient Ezekiel knows what he's supposed to do. It's an illogical thing, because logic doesn't tell you to prophesy to dead bones and they become a mighty standing army. That's exactly what happened. So if in our valley we're analyzing everything that's happening through logic and reason and human senses, we're going to miss what the Lord has taken us into the valley for in the first place. He's not taking you into the valley to figure him out, to solve God. He's taking you in the valley so that you can see yourself and then you can see him in new ways 
so that you don't panic over your diminished strength when the impossibility finds you. You actually begin to glory in your own weakness because you know in your own weakness it requires him to operate in sovereign divine strength on your behalf. You see, so when you're in this thing, an impossibility, I know you want out of it. Um, Paul is the only person I know of, and that's only because it's in the Bible, where Paul said, I rejoice in my infirmity. I've been walking with Jesus since 1994, and I do not rejoice in my weakness, but I have learned to be realistic about it. Paul said, hey, man, I've learned to rejoice when I'm weak. He's made strong, and it's in my weakness that his strength is perfected. I, I, I'm still along the spectrum that way. I will come to that conclusion, but I come digging in my heels because there's something within all of us that wants to be able to handle stuff. And God doesn't want you to be able to handle things apart from him, so he puts you in things that you cannot handle. Do you remember that awesome Bible verse that says God will never give you more than you can handle? Eh, that's illegal. It's not a Bible verse. It's not true. It's wrong. He will absolutely give you. I just set some of you up. That was not fair. But uh, he will give you. He will definitely give you regularly what you cannot handle. And the reason why is because he's not called you to be the immaculate handler. He wants you to be the dependent daughter, the dependent son. So he's going to give you stuff you can't handle. Expect it. Embrace it. And obey through it. And watch when you come to the end of your own self in this valley of possibility. You're going to encounter him in ways that deepen your faith and deepen your spiritual strength. And so he says that uh, the breath comes into them. They lived. They stood on their feet. An exceedingly great army. Let me just test you here, see if you're still awake and paying attention. I'm almost done. You know it because I'm almost out of verses. What did Ezekiel do? How did, how did the impossible get reversed? What did Ezekiel do through the whole passage? He just obeyed. He didn't come up with a plan. He, he didn't fast. He didn't pray. He didn't, he didn't say, God, I've got this gift that you've given me. I'd like to use. All he did was obey. You know why? Because our plans don't matter when we're in the impossible valley. Our gifts don't really matter. Your gifts don't get you out of the valley of impossibility. That's part of the, part of the breaking process. Because your gifts served you well when you were in the, in the, in the, in the valley of uh, improbability. But now you're in the valley of impossibility. And your gifts are really not usable there. And so all Ezekiel did was obey. I, I just want to tell you this. Let me give you this. Obedience alone can accomplish the possible. Obedience alone can accomplish the possible. But it's only faith and obedience that accomplishes the impossible. So if you, you obey, it is tied to your faith. God receives your obedience even if you're trembling when you obey. Even if you're like the man in the Gospels that said, Lord, I do believe, but please help my unbelief. He confessed his hybrid uh, faith doubt kind of heart. But if we press in even with faith that is just slightly less than perfect, when we obey... God counts our obedience as faith when we're looking to him. And faith and obedience, when they couple together, they produce a baby called a miracle. And that's what Ezekiel was having. And so here's the end of it. 
Now Ezekiel gets to learn what this was all about. It's not really important to what we're doing. As a matter of fact, worship team, you can come on up. That'll facilitate me uh, finishing here. But here's the fresh revelation. So he, God says, Ezekiel, you want to know what this was about? I'm about to tell you. Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We're indeed cut off. That, by the way, that's the favorite song of the Valley of Dry Bones. That's what we all sing. We use different words, but it's our, it's, it, we, we say our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, we are indeed cut off. Our hope is dried up, our bones are lost, whatever. And, and so we get to that place, and we just start singing and thinking and speaking ourselves into misery. And God hears that, and yet God moves, and he says, therefore prophesy, say, say to them, thus says the Lord God. When you're talking to yourself and you're instructing yourself in defeat, God says, I'm going to speak over that. And if you'll listen to what I say, here's what the Lord God is saying. Behold, there is a grave. You're in a grave. I'm going to open your grave. Yes, I'm going to free you. I'm going to raise you from your grave. And he says, oh, my people. What a reassuring word to Israel that had been long uh, just dead and dry. He says, you're still my people. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring you into the land of Israel. They were captives. The last thing that they really felt and sensed was that they were going to be returned to the land of promise that God had given them. And he says, oh yeah, you've been dispossessed. Yeah, as a nation you're dried up. As a nation you're experiencing death. As a nation you can't do it on your own because dead dry bones don't get up and walk away unless somebody intervenes. And God says, I'm intervening on your behalf. And captivity is not going to be the grave that my people live in forever and ever. And he says, and you will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And then the last verse is verse 14. Here's the enduring lesson. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. And I love this. Oh man, I love it when God's not vague. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. You know, I believe part of the fulfillment of this very prophecy began to occur in 1948 when Israel returned to that little plot of land and a nation was birthed again. You see, he's not done with them yet. We'll, we'll address that at a different time. He's not done with them yet. But since we can't do a history lesson or a prophecy lesson on the future of Israel in the next 60 seconds, let me ask you this. Do you believe that in the midst of your impossible situation, it may not cocoon your whole life. Your whole life might not be kind of grounded in impossibility right now. But listen, have you given up on something because you didn't get the breakthrough in the timeline you thought you would get the breakthrough? And you've just kind of relegated it as to something that's going to be with you and impossibility forever and ever? Or do you believe that God can look into that thing and that he can speak to you and say, thus says the Lord God, you're my people, you're my son, you're my daughter, and I'm going to reach into that grave-like place in your life, and I'm going to bring you up out of it, and I'm going to put you back in that land that I've ordained for you, that place that flows, that place that is in oneness with me, that place when I put my spirit in you, when I begin to introduce what I am doing into your impossible situation. And then he asked this question all the time. Son of man, can your bones live? Can your situation be overturned? Can your impossibility be reversed when you leave it with me? That's the question, brothers. That's the question, sisters. That is the test of faith. And the place that we face it most acutely is in the valley of impossibility. If you're there tonight, 
I just dare you to come and give him thanks. I just dare you to press in with a boldness to say, God, I'm not asking you to change it. I'm asking you to accomplish your purpose, the very purpose that your hand took me into this situation. I'm asking you, oh, sovereign God, don't let me leave this valley until I gain every good thing that you've ordained for me to find while I'm in the valley. Can you have that kind of faith? I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet tonight.